As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 427 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This week I have a great interview with Michael Legacy from a fascinating tale called The Forever Maps. It's described this way. In 1794, a young man named John is given a map. Curious, he follows it, and when he arrives at the end, he finds a similar map. This leads him to another, and then another, and on and on. Determined to find something, anything else, he continues to follow these strange maps all over the country. Decades later, he learns that as long as he follows them, he doesn't seem to get older. And it's not until nearly a century later that he realizes when he stops, time begins to catch up with him. Torn between family and immortality, John must continually choose between living forever and having a life worth living. We talk about how this book came to be, who the characters are, how the book came to Scout Comics, and how you can access it, which I highly recommend. There's a lot to get to in this episode, so let's get on with the show. It's great to welcome to the program Michael Legacy, the writer of a great book called The Forever Maps from Scout Comics, which I really enjoyed. How you doing, Michael? I'm doing very well, Wayne. Uh, thank you for having me. It's good to talk with you. I, I got turned on to your book by James Haig, the, the president of Scout Comics, who asked me to look over. They, this is a nonstop book from the company, and that means that they get a first issue comes out, and then the trade comes. He asked me to look at the first book, which I fell in love with, and then, of course, I had to have the trade once it was available. So I read the whole story, which I really enjoyed, and I wanted to tell you that I am a sucker for historical-type stuff especially when it's well done and I, I love the forever maps why don't you talk to people give us like a basic idea of what the forever maps is about well first i mean thanks for the kind words uh it definitely was a, a labor of love both for the artist todor and uh, myself um the story itself is uh is about a, a man who finds a map um and then when he follows it uh, 
it leads them to another map, and then that map leads them to another, and on and on and on. And uh, he, he becomes obsessed through no fault of his own in, in finding all these maps and keep them going. And after uh, decades, he realizes that as long as he's following them, he's not getting any older. And then after a century, when he stops following them, he finds that his uh, age is quickly catching up with him. And so it's really his, um, uh, his story of being torn between family and immortality and continually having to choose between living forever and having a life worth living. It's so fascinating because a lot of us think well, we want to live forever. But when stories like this where people actually get to do that, it may not turn out the way that we expect it. <laughs> yeah, well, hardly everything, hardly anything does these days, right? Yeah, that's true. So I, I, I love that. I, I, I'm not going to spoil the ending, but I love the ending. I thought the ending was really touching is the word I would use for it. It's just a great ending, and it's – you know, one of the great uh, – talk about the main character of the book because I think this is his journey. Who is the main character in the Forever Maps? Well, the main character is uh, really – he's his name is John, but he's he's nobody. He's everybody. He's um, – I wanted him to be not any anything extraordinary in himself. I wanted him to be more of uh, some kind of embodiment of, you know, a little piece of everybody because throughout the whole story, it's really um, – his struggle to not want to be where he is in life and not have it to have his life dictated for him. He wants to be his own person. And through that pursuit, he really ends up, you know, ending up in a situation that he didn't want to be in. And it's that, that overall irony mm -hmm. that I wanted to play with. And I, I appreciate the, the compliment on, on the ending. It, it really felt uh, – it wasn't the original ending that I originally thought of in my mind, but uh, as the book progressed, it really felt like the only only thing to do and the only way to go. It's interesting. One of the things about the book is an afterword where you talk about how the book came to be a little bit, which I always like to know these things. I always want to know how did things happen the way that they are. And I, it's interesting how the, the book itself was a journey. It went through. It started out that uh, you know talks about uh, the beginning of when you first came across the concept, and then there was a break between it, and then you came back to it after a while. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about mm -hmm. that journey. About is you did that coincide with you as a writer? How did that happen? Well, when I first had the idea, like uh, like so many things, I mean, when I first had the idea, I was I was in my mid twenties and. At that time, I feel like there was a lot of things that were coming at me as far as like ideas, but also in terms of, of life and experiences. And um, most of the things that came to me back then, I just kind of wrote down everything that I had uh, at the time. And then, you know, ultimately life kind of came uh, in the way and then um, I got distracted from all those ideas. And then it wasn't until almost 10 years later that I, I went back to the that initial um, seed of an idea and started exploring it a little bit more. And just all the life experiences I had from when I started to where I was at the time um, really helped define and shape the story in ways that I would not have been able to foresee when I first started thinking of it, you know. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm sure that you know, I, I would hope that everybody goes through that, you know, in their life as they grow and, and they experience more of, of life. Mm -hmm. 
it's, it's a fascinating tale about, you know, growth and about, uh, you know, life and what we expect out of it. And, you know, John kind of goes through a lot of changes. It, it, it's really interesting to me. I, I really despise when people take a story and make it with modern sensibilities. You know, they, they somehow all the things, are, people look at things the way that we look at them today. And I thought that John, in the very beginning, is a, is a product of his age, of that time. You know, it was, it's back in 1794, so it's a whole different society than we're used mm-hmm. to now. And I, I love the fact that you didn't make it feel like it was a today story, that it was actually something that it resembled what probably would happen back in those days. Did you work? I mean, did you study that time period and come across, you know, how people thought and functioned back in that that day? Yeah, no, I wouldn't say uh, like professionally or, or anything like that. I'm I'm, I'm no researcher. Um, everything that I know about that really came from the minimal stories that I read of of from you know stories back then and and maybe some movies, uh, classic westerns and um, old. Canadian um, fictional historical dramas. Uh, for example, the the only things that played when on TV when I was growing up, we only had two channels, mm-hmm. um, and most of them were just old old shows. And I also really like the idea of of history and how uh, you know how we progress through time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the most fascinating. I almost can't get away from it, mm-hmm. um, but. Um, Sorry, I lost my place there. Well, so you're talking about time and how it progresses and how things change, you know, in our lives as that happens. I, I, I'm always fascinated by that myself. I, every once in a while, I find myself looking back to when I was younger and how I looked at things so differently then. And our society goes through those changes, and it, it seems to go by decade in my head. Right, yeah. So those kinds of things. So the one thing I really enjoyed, though, about the book that I thought was really fascinating was family. About uh, John and his family, you know, his father and his mother. And them. did you, because I I still think that this was very uh, uh, common practice back in those days. John's life, you talked about he didn't want other people to have an influence on him. And Mm -hmm. the the person that does that, and it, it doesn't give away much of the story to say at the very beginning, his father, as I think was common in those days, probably was trying to construct John's life the way that the father mm-hmm. th- thought it should be, rather than asking John what he wanted. So I, mm-hmm. I found that really compelling, and I also found the mother really compelling too, because <laughs> as the father was very directional, and that the mother was much more sympathetic, you know, more worried about what John wanted right. than the father was, and I that contrast. I related to because in my family it was sort of that way. My dad was, you know, I would go to my dad first and he would say no, and I'd go to my mom and she would say yes you know, after <laughs> that. So that I got that same sort of thing on not quite the same level right. that John goes through, but I could relate to what he was experiencing. So I thought that was a really good part of the story was the, the business with the family. Right, yeah. Back then, I mean, in, in the circumstances of uh, the protagonist in the story, um, John's father was a, a politician, and, and I could only imagine that back then, if, if you had a, a as um, a stern a father who was a politician back then, he would want you to do exactly what he did. But I, really, that doesn't seem that much different than 
you know, even someone growing up as a, a poor farmer, uh, they would invent eventually um, inherit the farm and then just do that. And their kids would grow up on the farm and they would inherit it and do that over and over. And really trying to break out of that, that cycle is um, something that whether it's physically, like whether you're a son of a politician or the son of a farmer, um, breaking that cycle, I think, is what a lot of people want to do. But, you know, that's what a driving factor in the story, for sure, but I think, and I hope it's a, a driving factor in a lot of people's you know, personal motivations, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to creativity. Mm-hmm. Well, I could relate to it because, you know, he, he let's say John goes off to college, and I must think that's nothing, not, that's not a big surprise that he's going to go off to college and stuff like that. And when that happens, though, Communications are very different then than it is now. I mean, things can go on that the father may not be aware of, like now with cell phones and everything else and communication the way that it is. Almost instantly, people know what you're doing. In those yeah. days, no. And I see that in some ways, I think that makes the story more profound because he gets to live his life a little bit on his own. And let's just say the reaction isn't. <laughs> what what John would would probably want when when the father finds out? Yeah, it was, I think it was uh, a lot easier to live off the grid back then. It takes a a week to, between correspondence, and that's a one way correspondence at that, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, cell phones definitely. I I find them. You know, I I don't even like including them in in stories lately because it almost feels like uh, any little bit of technology. Uh, would drastically change uh, a character's actions at any point in the story, especially if you could just call for reinforcements or, you know, mm-hmm. or or have somebody track you down via uh, Find My iPhone. Well, the first time I ever saw cell phones in television program, I think the X-Files, they, suddenly they could take phone calls wherever they were. And I remember being stunned by that because I thought, gosh, you know, that... It's like today. I think I can't get away from people anymore. You know, it used to be you, you'd have to leave a message, then you get the message when you wanted, <laughs> and you can still do that someplace. But now, if you don't answer the phone, it's kind of considered rude. You know, when when people yeah. call. But th- this was what happened with John. Though John is out of communication with his family, and it's it's really interesting. It's it's something that I think some of us kind of long for, is that that ability to, to do things on our own for a while. Oh, there's definitely a, a compelling ideal in, in wanting to be away from people when you want to be uh, away from people. But I think we're, I mean, but to con- contrast that with uh, right now, I think a lot of people are finding that uh, being away from people is a little bit harder than they might have ideally expected. Yeah, right. We're going through the whole coronavirus thing right now as we're recording this. And it's an experience that we'll pro- hopefully look back on and laugh at some point. But right where we're going through it, it's not that way. So it, it's interesting. We I, I had an idea. Oh? Sorry. Okay. No, I, I, I was just wondering the other day about how many uh, writers who are in self-isolation right now are going to come up with a very similar premise about uh, a romantic comedy or a horror movie about being caught or trapped with in isolation and not able to leave your house with somebody that you don't want to be with. I think that's right. going to be uh, be a lot of uh, story points pretty yeah. quick. Well, you know, a lot of people are talking about the fact that in nine months there's likely going to be a baby boom. 
<laughs> going to happen. There's going to be all these kinds of things happening because the of the coronials. Yes, it has to be a whole new coronial generation or something like that. Will become <laughs> that. So it's kind of an interesting thing to see about that. But you know, it's interesting. We I bring that up, but there's family. We talked about mother and father, but there's other family that gets involved with John through his experience, and because yeah. of the maps. He gets a very unique experience as far as other members of his family, shall we say? And I don't want to spoil much because that's a really interesting, yeah. it's really interesting developments as he goes along with that. What, what can you tell people about that? What would you like people to know before they read the book? Well, it's it's not spoiling too much, I, I don't think, uh, seeing as how it happens pretty early on in in what is essentially the overall second act. Um, but uh, in the in the second act, he he. We find out that he's met a woman that uh, he goes on to uh, to marry, um, which I mean to be perfectly honest, uh, uh, when I was writing it, I found it hard to almost relegate myself with the idea that he would even have time to to meet uh, a woman, and the only way I could really make that compute in my head was to make him as a uh, a traveling salesman, um, just because he can be on the road without any questions asked. And then, you know, a l- months later, he can, he can come back and kind of have that existing relationship again. Um, the only thing I would really say that um, I would want somebody to know beforehand, uh, not that you need to know much beforehand, but the, the first chapter of the book um, is basically his uh, relationship with, uh, his parents, John's relationship with his parents, and then the second chapter ends up being a mirror of that with his relationship um, between his wife and, to some degree, his his uh, father-in-law at that point. Um, but then, you know, the third chapter ends up being a reflection of uh, him and, uh, you know, children, which is, to me, those are the three main points of uh, family, is parents um, and spouses, and then children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an element in this book that, that uh, it's on the cover of the collected edition, and it's also something that happens a lot in the book, is there's a crow, or at least crows. I don't know whether this is the same crow all the way through the book or not, but the, the crow shows up at really interesting times. During this, is is was that a visual element that say Todor developed, or was that something that you wanted? How did the crow get involved? That was uh, actually an idea going back to the very f- seed of the idea, um, and it's not a crow. It's supposed to be a raven, and oh, okay. I don't, you know, if if I was to see them side by side. Uh, or pictures of them side by side. I don't think I could really tell them apart. Okay. All I know is a raven is much bigger than a crow. But okay. uh, in, um, I grew up in uh, northern Alberta in Canada, and there's uh, a strong um, Native American uh, culture uh, in that area, and it's definitely it was part like a small part of uh, our school programs, mm-hmm. and we learned that in that uh, the raven is thought of as a trickster. Mm-hmm. And that was really the, the driving force behind um, what ends up being the, the antagonist of the series is this idea that uh, there's uh, a being or a force uh, embodied as the, the raven who's playing tricks on, on you know, mortal man. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I like the the, uh, the idea of a raven as opposed to a crow, which I saw, was it's a lot more literate. So, like you know, we get Edgar Allan Poe using the raven and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So it's a lot more literate than the crow is. So I like that a whole lot better than my, my idea of a crow. It makes it a lot more profound feeling. So I like that. That, that That's much better to know. Yeah, I think it's um, when you have that idea um, – or when you when you have that uh, in front of you, or or when you consider it that way, it kind of makes a lot more sense as to uh, how the ra- the maps even started in the first place. If it's if it's a trick on nature, and I think it, um, in the first chapter it's briefly mentioned, just when um, uh, John is kind of caught in a snowstorm and he's. Uh, uh, it's mentioned that the the ravens were playing their tricks on on him um, by uh, uh, a Métis trapper. There's a point at which John actually yells out at a, at a raven, calls him a trickster, which I thought was really interesting too. It's such a this it leads me to a point I do want to talk about was that I really got to care about these characters. I felt for them like I knew them, you know. I, I wasn't just reading a wow. book anymore. I, I, I knew these people. And, you know, when you know somebody and you go through these very unique circumstances, let's just say, and, you know, you have to feel for them, you know, because they don't have any guideposts to gu- to take them through these things that that's going through with them. So to actually see them feeling their way along, you feel a lot of sympathy for these people. You know, it's it's so interesting and so compelling. I just really enjoyed the, the the you know going on the journey with John and the people around him was really something. Just well, thank a, you, Wayne. Just a, just a human experience. You know, let's just say there are elements in the story that are a little extra natural, shall we say? And <laughs> to see John and these people have to to sort out what they should be doing and not always be make the right choices, the best choices, mm-hmm. is really something you, you, you feel for these people because you kind of sit there and go, oh, no, don't do that. But then when they do it, you get to see the, the circumstances and the, the repercussions. <laughs> and I really enjoyed that. I, I just, this is, I, and I think all that really, is, like I, I said before, the ending is so touching because huh. of all the stuff that, that John has gone through. And, and it comes to a just very, you know, excellent to me ending you know you feel for it because comics always want to endlessly continue you know batman's got to end up where he was the issue before so somebody else can pick him up writing but what you got to do with your stories you got to tell a complete story shall we say beginning middle and end and to me that was so refreshing to read it's so nice to see a story that has all those elements to it that i can pick up and just enjoy this complete tale you know, from beginning to end. So I, I really enjoyed that about the book. If you like variety like I do, this book will just, you know, it scratches that. It's so well for me. I really like that. Well, thank you, Wayne. That's 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 so kind. Um, going Just going back a little bit to what you're saying about how there's so much that he went through, and I'm glad that it resonated with you. Um, it's kind of funny. When um, I first got the story, the complete story, into Todor's hands, and he was looking through it. He had he had a few notes that he sent my way that I kind of had to uh, argue for a little bit. And he was just saying that um, he felt that 
it was a little too negative or a little too hard on John. It was like, are you are you sure? I don't think people are gonna like that, <laughs> Michael. And then, well, I don't know if uh, if time has told or not, but uh, uh, I'm glad that it at least resonated with you and that you found that uh, it was at least uh, somewhat hopeful that he was able to navigate those hard hard circumstances. Well, you know, we have to relate to people, and you know, as much as I enjoy DC Comics because they're iconic characters in the way that they're icons, they're I said extra normal is a word I like, and so they're they're that mm-hmm. way. You know, Marvel people, you know, Peter Parker misses the rent, and he's hiding from the the people. It's like Bruce Wayne never misses the rent, you know, kind of stuff. So there's that very right. different contrast between them. But to see people, you know human people you know that you feel you know I always wonder how would I react in the circumstance with that so I mm-hmm. just really just you know I had to sit there and I don't know if I'd do much better than John <laughs> in this had I come across this and so to me this was a very a learning thing you know in, in that way I just love that but you, you bring up something though that I did want to definitely talk about was Toter's art it's yeah. very yeah. I you know I I you know, I, I know that if we went back in the day and we looked at stuff, it wouldn't be the 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 way that he portrays it. And of course, he's doing it artistically. He's giving his interpretation of what that time probably felt like, as opposed to what it looked like. And so, to me, I I, I was drawn into it so much, you know, because his use of color is interesting. The the whole yeah. set of things is not. It's not like a superhero comic. Let me say that right off the yeah. bat. You know, it's got a very. Um, it's hard to. For it's me to unique. Say. Yes, it's got this, and it's it's gripping in that say it draws you into the story. Yeah. You know it, the way it's done. Now, I I always think this would make a great movie, but on the other hand, I don't know if I want this to be a movie because the artwork is such a it portrays such a different feeling unless you somehow did it on the screen and I don't know if people would take to it in, in live action if you use the kinds of you know color schemes and a little bit of sketchiness at times that, yeah that, I don't know what a, a movie would look like uh, mm-hmm. as far as like the the style goes uh, I have no idea what it would look like mm-hmm. um, but everything that you're describing about his art about it being like you know gra- uh, gripping and and bringing you into it and it is exactly what I felt when I first saw his uh, Todor's work Um like his the, I think I I happened to be cruising along uh, Deviant Art, and I came across, I think his, I think his post was just a comment in a different uh, thread that I was reading, mm-hmm. and like I literally stumbled, no, not literally stumbled upon it, but mm-hmm. uh, I digitally stumbled upon it, mm-hmm. and uh, the from the first story I read of it, it drew it pulled me in right away, and I went through everything I could find of his, and then I, I um contacted him and asked him if he was doing uh commission work and uh i, I can't ima- you can't imagine the, the the look on my face when he said that he was uh just the fact that when i, I sent him uh, a little five page story uh like a just self-contained story for him to do uh and just the results that he got back to me in a very quick time frame were just unbelievable the amount of detail uh that he puts into every panel that to, to make that period really stand out and make that period come to life is is mind-blowing and i think when he started drawing uh the forever maps i think he was like 24 25 at the time and 
I mean, he, he's from Bulgaria, so uh, you can tell that those those um, uh, European uh, influences are very prominent in in his work, and it's definitely not like anything I've ever seen in in North America. Like it's it's not a style of art that you come across every day, and I was so so lucky to have stumbled upon it initially, and so grateful to have him on board. I don't know what it would would have been like with you know if I had gotten a, uh, an artist uh, who was more of like a like an American style or more like a like a, a superhero style, Marvel DC style. Mm-hmm. It, it's I can't even imagine what that would what that would look like. It's so funny how that happens when an artist starts to portray your story you see it in a different light and you know Toto brings mm-hmm. to it a lot of profoundness you know american art tends to be a lot of on the nose as people like to say you know, it tends to be you know clear and and everything is very easily understood there's a little bit, bit of murkiness to it that leaves your that makes your imagination engage i just think it's just a great thing yeah. about it well, that's that's one of the the big things about about art artistic style is that there is a style that's important for every story, you know, it, that can best bring out that story. Uh, I think that there was uh, Todor's style in this book, um, mm-hmm. but there's certainly in every style, like even this, the Marvel DC style, there's a there's a time and place for it, and mm-hmm. yeah, and it's, tr- it's trust your artist. Yes. Yes, it's it's gripping, because I work with uh, Stabity Bunny. I was I'm the editor there, and the the writer and I were working on that, and he was looking at artists, and and one guy gave a, a, a image one of the characters, and we looked at it, and went eh, no, no, not really, mm-hmm. and then this other guy turned in one, and it just like popped off the page. You know, we were like, wow, that is the character, you know. Yeah, you just, know it when it hits you. Oh, yeah, you know, and it, you, you, it's hard to convey to the artist, but when the artist's imagination hits you, and you look at it, and you just know it's the right one, and I think that's, I'm sure that's what happened when, when you started getting uh, artwork back from him about Oh, yeah, story. synchronicity. Yeah, you just, you know, that's it, that's it, I know that's yeah. it. So that's really Yeah, important. when... When um, somehow an artist manages to give you back exactly what you had uh, imagined but couldn't describe, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. That that's an excellent way to do that. Now, th- one thing I wanted to mention too is the fact that um, you guys went through a Kickstarter. Uh, back we did. The, you know, this was a little while ago, and I always like to say that I'm grateful for Kickstarter because stories like this one probably would never see the light of day with Marvel or DC or Image or other ones. But the the fact that you guys got to go straight to the fans and the fans supported it made this book happen. And I always liked yeah. that about the Kickstarter thing. What was your experience like doing a Kickstarter? I mean, was it was this your first one? How did this go for you? It was my first Kickstarter. I had um, not, never really explored the platform that much beforehand. But uh, when... I pitched my uh, initial idea and uh, Todor's initial six uh, sequential pages. I pitched it to all the uh, publishers that you would probably think of if you came up with a short list. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got uh, a couple responses, um, but nothing really that I was 
comfortable in proceeding with, mostly because I didn't have any money in order to pay Todor, and I didn't want him to be working all on uh, eventual, uh, you know, profits. Um, and so this uh, crowdfunding at the time, this was back in like, 2015, um, was really starting to catch on, and there were so many campaigns that had been successful, and I looked at it for a what, four or five months, a little bit of research, looking at all the big projects, and I decided that this was the best way to get exactly what I wanted done. <laughs> and at the time, I naively thought that four to five months of research would be enough, <laughs> um, and boy, was I sadly mistaken. Um, I'm so glad that my Kickstarter um, was successful and that we were able to make this book. But honestly, uh, if I could do my Kickstarter again, I would change so much that it would be totally different. Like after that, uh, after my Kickstarter, like maybe a year later is when I started listening to the uh, uh, comics uh, comics podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, Tyler, uh, I forget his his name off the top of my head here, um, but uh, I learned so much just from that. Going back and looking at how. Uh, like the choices that I made and the things I tried to account for, I was totally off. And that uh, one month campaign um, was so stressful on me. And I was working on a full-time job at the time. Mm. And uh, so, you know, during like lunch breaks and breaks, I'm trying to keep on top of things. And I uh, responded to each and every backer individually, thanking them for their contribution. I tried to be as personal as possible because that is what I knew I could do a little bit differently than maybe other campaigns. Um, mm-hmm. But during that campaign, I had uh, like like my computer completely uh, crashed on me during that process. Oh, and, oh no! <laughs> and I lost quite a, quite a bit of work. And you know, it was it, it is a sob story. And I oh. had two panic attacks when I'd never had any <laughs> panic attacks ever in my life. It was, it was so unbelievably stressful. Um, and I only got. You know, I'm going to consider it uh, lucky mm-hmm. because uh, just through the generosity of, of backers is what made it possible, you know, mm-hmm. and got me to this position where I'm, you know, now talking about it to you, Wayne. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, it, without Kickstarter, it would not have been possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but if anybody out there is considering a Kickstarter, um, do your research. <laughs> do more research than you think you need to do. Mm-hmm. Well, oftentimes, like somebody like you, although you probably don't want to have everybody coming to you looking for advice, there are people who like to give advice on running Kickstarters and stuff like that. So that's always a good thing to go through somebody who's already done it and give you some. I'm sure you could give some tips, you know, to people as to what, what the do's and don'ts on Kickstarter are. So it was. is that your only one? Have you done any other since then? No, no. Uh, I, you know how I mentioned back in my 20s, life kind of got in the way. Um, funny enough, like a week, I think, after uh, my Kickstarter uh, went through and was successful and I'd just been uh, sent the funds to you know, start uh, proceeding with the comic. About a week after that, um, my wife and I found out that we were expecting uh, our son, Oh, wow, and so and so, um, it was kind of uh, funny because um, it, the production process 
uh, ended up taking about a year and a half longer than we had anticipated. And so, whereas I thought I'd be um, shipping this book like a month before my son was born, it ended up being like, I think he was like a, almost a year old mm-hmm. and I was up till two in the morning in the kitchen mm-hmm. with, you know, boxes and mm-hmm. packing material spread out everywhere. And every night, uh, right after I, I finished up and couldn't keep my eyes open any night uh, anymore that night, I had to put everything away so that <laughs> he wouldn't come out with his, you know, uh, dirty little fingers and touch anything. Um, and then, so yeah, that happened. And then after that, uh, a whole bunch of uh, things in life's really got in the way. And I only feel like in the past uh, couple months have I actually been able to dedicate any free time to being creative and so it's uh, it's a nice feeling to get back into and when that uh when that creativity bug hits you again um but i wouldn't say i'm up to <laughs> full full capacity quite yet well real life gets in the way of comics sometimes you know those things so the, we, of course we have to talk about scout you know now that it's available on scout that's going to expect you know increase your audience you know the possibility of people oh, getting yeah. to it how did it happen with scout i mean james obviously was the one that turned me on to your stuff was he the one through which the the whole scout thing happened james is an anchor um <laughs> and we should, probably should confirm that we're both talking about the same uh, master james hake right yes absolutely <laughs> yes um i don't know how he found me i think it was through deviant art uh again years and years and years ago um i think i posted about uh doing offering lettering services and i think he came across that post i didn't post many places back then but he found it, and uh, he got me to letter uh, a few issues of uh, early issues of Solar Flare, mm-hmm. and um, and then after uh, I became more useful to him as uh, an editor, and um, he often says that I was uh, his writing mentor. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it was really that, or just kind of unplugging a couple of of, of things in his creative clogs and uh, getting his his full potential out. But, um, Mm uh, it was after we stayed in touch, obviously, because, um, he's a great guy. And after, uh, his soil flare really started taking off, uh, he got in touch with some other guys, uh, that, uh, he has been, you know, meeting and they formed scout comics. And Mm -hmm. about, uh, a little while after that, he reached out to me and, and said, are you? Uh, would you be into Scout picking up the Forever Maps? And I said, eventually, I said yes, absolutely, and please and thank you. Um, <laughs> and it's, I mean, their whole team is great. Everybody mm-hmm. that uh, I've been working with, you know, James and James and Brendan, everyone's just been mm-hmm. uh, tremendous. And uh, uh, it really seems like a time that is. Well, I mean, three weeks ago, it really seemed like a time when um, <laughs> things were taking off for, for Scout and for everybody in the comics world. And they've got a, a heck of a great lineup of uh, creative forces. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, you know, regardless of whatever situation is going on right now, I think they're they're going to survive whatever blip this is and get those creative forces back out. And like I said, they're, uh, they're a bunch of creative guys. They're going to get their books to the people that want to read them, and I think that a lot of people want to read them. 
one of the things I'm really happy about is that just recently the, the digital versions of stuff have started to become available through Scout, and I think that's going to help. I don't I don't know if this is available digitally. Uh, this may be one of the ones that's on the way. But, uh, it is now. I, I think uh, James posted just a couple days ago that oh. uh, they got it on the Scout's online roster. Cool. Very good. Oh, man, I, I, I want more people to read this because this is such a a great experience. It's unlike, you know, and I love my long johns. Don't get me wrong. I, I, but <laughs> I love other things. I love other journeys to go on. And this is one of those journeys I really enjoyed. I mean, I it's one of those things, you know, Frank Miller talked about when he opened up a, a Batman comic. He fell in to the book, you know. And I, I had that experience when I read your book. I fell into the story. You know, it's one of those places where you forget where you are. And you're suddenly living in 1794 watching John get the stuff. You're there standing there watching all this happen. And I just, you know, it was. It's, I would really encourage people, if you have not read the Forever Maps... I would highly encourage you get this book because it's going to be something that's a, a great story that is something unlike stuff that I, I we usually get today. And there's nothing wrong with the stuff that comes out today, but you want, if you're like me and you like different kinds of storytelling, this is going to be great for you. It's just a wonderful book. Thank you. Thank you, Wayne. That's, that's very kind. Thank you. Now, of course, you've got a website called theforevermaps.com up, and it's got lots of information if people want to find out more about it. There's also, if you go to scoutcomics.com, they have a store there. and it's, I think it's scoutcomics.com slash store if you go there, and you should be able to get either a paper copy or, or get a digital version of it there on there. So, And I, when this thing blows over, I think that we'll be able to get this in stores again. And stuff like that. I don't know how it's going to happen right now. Everything's kind of up in the air. But this is one of those things that I think is, is a great argument to keep comics going, do things that are creative and, and innovative and just something that's enjoyable to read. And, and uh, it, it changes your perspective on storytelling when you read it. Just a, a great, great book. So I, I do that. Now, if we're going to keep up with you, Michael, as far as like social media and things like that go, how do we do that? Are, are you on Facebook or Twitter? How, where are you available at? Well, I'm on all the the places that you'd pr- you might expect me to be on, like Facebook and Twitter. Uh, uh, I'm Mr. Legacy on Twitter, um, M. Legacy on Facebook, but uh, I'm not too difficult to find. Um, and, you know, other than that... Uh, on my website, MrLegacy.com, uh, theforevermaps.com. All of those will lead you to be able to get in touch with me, and uh, I can add you to uh, an email list. I don't have anything to really send out quite yet. Like I said, I'm still getting uh, my traction back. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, but face- Facebook is probably where I am, unfortunately, most prominent. Oh, well, you know, most we should- frequent. Yeah, well, me, you and me both. I, I find Facebook the easiest thing to keep up with everybody with. We should spell legacy for people just so that people mm. don't get lost trying to find you in the Internet. How do you spell legacy? Uh, Lima Alpha Golf Alpha Charlie Echo. Okay. So that's uh, L-A-G-A-C-E. M-R-L-A-G-A-C-E. Mr. Legacy. Yes. That's a good thing to do. Exactly how it sounds, right? Yeah, well, that's the thing. If you go to your website, you actually have a couple of other stories that I'm going to have to get into. One's called The Grave Train Robbery. There's something called Moon While We Were Sleeping. 
and I haven't read any of these, but based on the, like the forever maps, I want to experience these. I want to get through and, and read these things. Something called seating arrangements, too. I want to know these stories based on, on, on the, how well the forever maps work for me. I want to experience those, too. And now's a good time to do it if, if it's trouble getting to stores. This is a time to do that. Are, do you get to read them on the on the uh, website, or yeah. is this something you got to order? Well, no, just on my my website, uh, mrlegacy.com, um, there's just a couple of briefs. When I first started getting uh, pulling up my britches and getting back into making comics and, and actually, like I said, going through DeviantArt, finding artists to, to collaborate with, um, I always uh, started with any artist. I started with just a, like a five, six page, just a little short story. Uh, the one, the fir- very first one that I did with Todor is on there. It's called The Grave Train Robbery. Um, and, um, that one, I actually purposefully got him to draw because I wanted to know how he could draw like cowboys and that sort of thing, which is very prominent in the forever maps. Um, and then our second collaboration on there was called, um, uh, the mad trapper, mm-hmm. which is based on a, I don't know if you've heard of the story of the mad trapper of rat river, mm-hmm. but I think everybody should look it up. It's one of, uh, it's a very, eerie piece of uh canadian non-fiction so um look up the story that's really surprising um and uh, then i've only got a couple of other stories on there like you said uh, seating arrangements and while you're sleeping that i did with a couple other artists around the world and hoping to get some more briefs back up and get some more uh add some more into my portfolio Cool. Well, I, I want to encourage you to do more because I want to read more of your stuff. I, now they'll have a little time, hopefully, to be able to read some other stuff. I'm going to dive in and read these other stories because they, they really look interesting to me. You know, well, they're like, for free on, on my website. Yeah, so I'll enjoy do that. <laughs> it's going to be great stuff. Well, you know, Michael, all I can tell you is keep doing it because I want to read more of these good things because there's I, there are so many good stories out there that I always say this on this podcast is if it went for Kickstarter – how many stories we would have missed, and I, I wish it had been mm-hmm. around sooner. Definitely. If it had been here sooner, we, how many stories would we have experienced that we didn't get to? But, Definitely. Uh, it's, you know, I, all I can say, Michael, is keep it up because it's wonderful stuff, and I'm going to be diving into these other things and reading them. And you know, all I can do is wish you much success, you know, and do more of these kinds of things because I'm, there's a, I think there's an audience out here waiting and hungry for these kinds of stories. So I, I just keep it up and and make them happen because I, I, I for one, I'm going to be there, you know, anxiously, ready to read them. Well, thank you, Wayne. Uh, this this conversation has been very encouraging, um, and I, I hope that uh, everybody out there, rather than watching the the same show you've seen for three or four times in a row just to, instead of doing that go and, and do something creative because um you there's an audience i think for for almost every story out there and that the only person that's ever going to tell that story is you people need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy and i can't do that as bruce wayne as a man from flesh and blood i can be ignored i can be destroyed but as a symbol Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics. And 
that's a wrap for this episode. Be sure to be back next week when I'll have another interview with a great comics creator. But until then, keep reading your comics. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.